This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Dr. Avishkar Sabharwal. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. The NHANES 2005-2010 survey showed 43% of adults with depression were suffering from obesity, and adults with depression were more likely to have obesity than adults without depression. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Decoding Obesity podcast. We will be talking about depression and obesity. My guest for today is one of India's leading psychiatrists and is also one of the most followed Indian psychiatrists on social media. I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Anunit Sabarwal. Welcome to our podcast, Anunit. Thank you. Lovely to be here. So as we know that obesity is a global health problem with many complications, and depression certainly complicates the management of obesity. A meta-analysis of nearly 15 studies done recently on this very subject showed a reciprocal relationship between obesity and depression. Can you shed some light on this close interrelationship? Yes. According to the WHO data from 2016, about 13% of the world population is suffering from obesity. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention data says that about 43% of adults with depression have obesity. All of the temporal relationship studies that have been done on depression and obesity have been derived from the jolly fat hypothesis. Now, this hypothesis was laid down in 1976 based on a study done by Crisp and McGuinness, which proved a positive relationship between substantial obesity and low levels of anxiety and depression. But subsequently, all studies after this essentially challenged this hypothesis. The data that you just quoted is from a study uh, done in 2010, which was published in the JAMA Psychiatry Journal. This was a meta-analysis of all studies done till now, and it did find a reciprocal relationship between obesity and depression. In other words, obesity was found to increase the risk of depression, and depression was found to be predictive of developing obesity. So Anunit, what do you think is the reason for this reciprocal relationship? Well, we have a lot of data on this already. The two basic pathways in which either of them can affect each other is one is the biological pathway and one is the psychological pathway. Now, the biological pathway is something that you can probably shed light on better. But let me just explain. Obesity can be seen as an inflammatory state because weight gain is shown to activate inflammatory pathways. And inflammation, especially at a subclinical level, is known to be associated with depression. And this is something that has been found universally in all studies done on obesity. Also, obesity causes HPA axis dysregulation. And HPA axis dysregulation is well known to be involved in depression. Finally, obesity also increases the risks of diabetes and increased insulin resistance, which could induce alterations in the brain, particularly the blood-brain barrier structure. So these are the biological mechanisms, but the psychological pathways also need to be mentioned. Now, being overweight and perception of being overweight, of course, causes psychological distress. In the West, the United States and Europe, 
thinness is considered to be a beauty ideal. And partly because of social acceptance and sociocultural factors, obesity may increase body dissatisfaction and decrease self-esteem, which are, of course, risk factors for depression. Now, disturbed eating patterns and eating disorders, as well as experiencing physical pain as a direct consequence of obesity, are also known to increase the risk of depression. And depression also exacerbates the possibility of the individual developing obesity. You know, depression increases obesity through long-term activation of the HPA axis. So cortisol, in the presence of insulin, inhibits the lipid mobilizing enzymes. And this leads to increase in abdominal fat. And of course, you know, because of depression, a lot of people end up adopting a really unhealthy lifestyle, such as physical exercise, which is deficient, unhealthy dietary preferences, and this possibly leads to obesity. I think you raise a very valid point here, Anunit. Uh, it is fairly complex, and I think you did hint at uh, you know obesity being not just a lifestyle disease, but also a metabolic and an endocrine disease. And on top of that, of course, the complications of obesity, especially like joint pains and arthritis, do cause a long-term chronic pain, which also can exacerbate depression how important do you think is family and social support in the care of these patients with obesity? See, for many people, the family is a major mechanism of influence in affecting change both in other family members and in themselves. Family dynamics, including family rules, emotional support, encouragement, reinforcement from other family members, and family member participation are important determinants of the family's health behavior patterns. And, you know, this can go either way, either obesity or a healthy lifestyle. Because most health behaviors are initiated in childhood, multiple studies have concluded that if a person is suffering from obesity, multiple members of his or her family will likely also be suffering from obesity. So what I'm saying is, working at the family level is as important as working at the individual level. Yeah, I think that's very important. We do see sometimes uh, people who are in the society or in the social group of the person suffering from obesity uh, kind of try and start blaming the patient himself or herself and uh, are not necessarily providing the support that they may need. And uh, that can definitely have a detrimental effect uh, both in achieving those goals with obesity as well as their mental health. Let's talk about some of the complications of some antidepressant medications. It is a well-known fact that some of these medications do cause weight gain. What should patients expect? Is this weight gain permanent and are there any alternatives? Okay, so whenever we prescribe antidepressants for the management of depression in individuals who are suffering from obesity, we have to be careful about which antidepressant it is that we're prescribing. Now, one of the latest antidepressants available for the management of depression is a drug called mirtazapine, which is sold under the brand name Remeron. Now, this drug is notorious for causing weight gain. There are a few atypical antipsychotics which are used for augmentation treatment in the management of depression, which is resistant to single drug treatment. Now, some of these medications are also notorious for causing weight gain. So some of them are quetiapine, which is sold under the name Seroquel, Risperidone, which is sold under the name Risper Risperdal, and Olanzapine, which is sold under the name Ziprexa. Now, other SSRIs or antidepressants such as Lexapro and Zoloft cause very modest weight gain. We're looking at possibly one to two kgs after the first year of treatment. And there are a lot of other antidepressants which are either weight neutral or cause weight loss. 
I agree with you there. Actually, uh, we do tend to uh, see in our practice as well that patients who have uh, weight issues or who have had weight gain with some of the antidepressants, we do try and talk to their psychiatrists and see if they can go on to Wellbutrin or Bupropion, which actually is one of the components of one of the weight loss medications available in the market. So I think uh, that's something very important to keep in mind and definitely something to discuss with your primary care physician or with your psychiatrist about uh, the, the appropriate antidepressant medication, especially if you're having a hard time losing weight. Can psychotherapy help patients with obesity? So this is a very common question that a lot of clients, you know, who are suffering from obesity ask me. But, you know, when if you look at the studies that have been done for CBT vis-a-vis -vis obesity, you know, traditionally, CBT has not worked in the long term. If you take a short-term perspective, of course, it helps to lose weight. But almost all the studies that have been done on CBT have found that the people who lost weight through CBT in the long term gained most of it back. Having said that, traditional CBT therapists do put special emphasis on maladaptive thoughts and behavior that lead to unhealthy lifestyle habits. But there is a new kid on the block, and this is called multi-step cognitive behavior therapy for the management of obesity. Now, the treatment program as a whole is delivered in six modules. I'll just run you through all the modules briefly. The first module addresses monitoring food intake, physical activity, and body weight. The second module addresses the change in eating patterns. The third module addresses developing an active lifestyle. The fourth module addresses obstacles to weight loss. The fifth module addresses weight loss and the primary goals of weight loss, which means why are you losing the weight? And the last module or the sixth module addresses the obstacles to weight maintenance. That's very interesting to know. Actually, I did not know about this and I will definitely look into this. Recent research examining weight stigma shows a range of potential adverse health outcomes, especially reduced quality of life in patients suffering with obesity, and also may interfere with their improvement of physical health, including weight loss. What are your thoughts on this and what should be the approach to patients suffering from obesity? We always advise the people first language to every doctor that we train. Now, what is people first language? You know, it is a kind of a linguistic prescription, you know, that all doctors and, you know, mental health professionals, all others who are in the healthcare field must know. This essentially puts a person before a diagnosis. Basically, what I'm saying is describe what a person has rather than asserting what a person is. Now, this prevents the dehumanization of people who are suffering from obesity. To give you a very basic example, Rather than saying you're obese, I'd say you're suffering from obesity. I think you're spot on, Anunit. Uh, WHO recently recognized obesity as a chronic disease. Just like diabetes, hypertension, it is a disease and not a lifestyle choice. What is your approach to patients who are suffering from obesity? So any patient who comes and who's suffering from obesity and depression, the first thing I do is to rule out whether obesity came first or depression came first. The reason behind weight gain is also very, very important to know before we start medications. Now, pharmacotherapy or medications with agents 
known to reduce appetite and weight loss is ideal. You mentioned Wellbutrin, which is bupropion, another popular drug used, which is a mood stabilizer, but also used in the management of depression as an augmenting agent is a drug called Topiramate, which is sold under the brand name Topamax. Also, we can judiciously use Vivitrol or Naltrexone. The next step is to refer the patient to a counselor for intensive multi-step CBT. And most importantly, I think we've discussed this in the podcast before, we must involve the family. We must educate them about healthy eating habits because if one changes, the entire family changes. That was very well put, Anneet. Overall, I think what we've learned today is that it is fairly complex. Both obesity and depression are very closely linked. It is important to seek help of a healthcare professional who specializes in the management of either depression or obesity or both. There are certain drugs that are definitely available for patients who are suffering from depression and obesity, but like Dr. Sabarwal put, it is important to know what came first. There are certain resources available online for people, such as the Obesity Action Coalition, which does fight for a people-first language. It strives to educate other healthcare professionals and people in general about uh, obesity being a chronic disease and not a lifestyle choice. That concludes our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much, Dr. Anunit Sabarwal, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to be here as always. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests, they do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of this show. Thank you so much for listening in. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info.